0: Hey, friends, it's Jamie, and this is the Real Mom Podcast. Today's episode will statistically resonate with about 80% of you as I delve into FASD, all things FASD, with my guest, Natalie Vecchione from FASD Hope. We talk about pursuing a diagnosis and behaviors and the effects on the body and brain. We talk about both of our aha moments as we learn to see our children differently and learn to help them and accommodate them. It was just such a great conversation that I think applies to maybe even more people than know as they're listening. I expect that many of you are going to have similar aha moments to what Natalie and I share about. So I'm excited for this really informative episode. Natalie and I talk about faith and we talk about momhood, but all through this lens of FASD that I know is going to really just serve and inform a lot of you. So enjoy this episode of The Real Mom Podcast. Hi, Natalie. How are you? I am
1: great, Jamie. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, you mean finally having (laughs) you. (laughs) It's okay, you know, better late than never.
0: Yeah, I feel like it's such a blessing that we can connect with people around the world, around the country, and we need to be grateful for that and not focus on the fact that technology half the time messes us (laughs) and makes it really hard.
1: It's fun. Exactly. Just looking at the positives. We're, We're finally talking. So I'm thrilled to be here.
0: Well, and I'm thrilled to have you. And I have to say it's a bit of a selfish motivation because typically I'm like, all right, let's have this conversation and people get to listen and, I'm excited to talk to you because of your expertise and all that you have learned on this journey about FASD, and we are kind of starting in that journey, and so I'm excited to get into that with you. But let's start where we always start with you introducing yourself and your family to us.
1: Sure thing. So my name is Natalie Vecchione, and I am the wife of my husband, John. We've been married for 26 years. I can't get over that. And we have two wonderful kids. Our son, Nick, is almost 19, and he came home to us via domestic adoption when he was two and a half weeks old. And then we have a daughter, Gigi, who is just turned six. And she also came to us via domestic adoption. However, her adoption was really more like a kinship adoption because we okay. were very close with her birth mom. Her birth mom was actually our son's babysitter when he was little. So there is a 13-year age gap between our two kids. Oh my. That's something I would definitely... Tell your listeners, hmm, if you want a space really in that far in apart, are. yeah, think about that a little bit. But it, it's actually been a huge <laughs> blessing. He is a wonderful big brother, and she just adores, you know, her big brother. So, and and he's he loves his little sister. So it's it's been such a blessing. Yeah, it very. We have a very unique family. So yeah, we live in North Carolina. We live in rural North Carolina. My husband and I met in North Carolina in college, and then we lived all across the Eastern seaboard and then finally settled back here in North Carolina five years ago. We had a lot and our son has a lot of medical diagnoses. We did not have an official diagnosis of our son having an FASD until he was 15 years old. However, when he was close to two years old, We had a specialist verbally say, I think he has been prenatally exposed to alcohol. So it took us 13 years from that time to actually get a diagnosis. So that is one of the many reasons why my husband and I started FASD Hope, like you, for selfish reasons, because we want to learn about it, you know, and it's funny in the podcast space, there's very few podcasts about FASD. And my husband and I were like, Well, let's change that. Let's change the conversation. And and the I know the podcasters, they're amazing, they're wonderful podcasts. Our podcast is from a different point of view, you know, being, you know, a mom and dad of a son with, we have almost 19 years of lived experience, you know, and sure. many of the, many of those years, we didn't even know about FASD. So we have a really unique kind of before and after story with FASD, you know, before we knew about it. And then after we learned about it. Right. So, right. And we also, like you, I was telling you before we started recording, I love your, I love what you're doing in the community and I love how you share your faith and your family and just everything. So we want to do that too. We want to Mm. share our faith and, and share how, you know, our faith has carried us through so many trials Mm. and that this journey is a lifelong journey. It does not end. However, with the Lord on your side, carrying you through these, these challenges and these things that you don't even know you're going to survive it's possible. And we we really just want to also let people know that we're here. And, and for every, you know, two of us talking, there's thousands of people who need sure. to hear our voices. So yeah, yeah, that's, that's kind of us in a nutshell. <laughs> sure. Yeah. And like you're saying, it's, you know, it's helpful
0: when you learn information, but it's powerful when you watch someone else walk through that learned information. When you see a family just living through it and talking about it, it's different and we need the experts and we need the research and all of that, but it's definitely different than just hearing an expert who doesn't have a child who's struggling in their home, who checks out at the end of the day, who, you know, might do the research, but doesn't have the lived life experience. It's so helpful. And, you know, people like to make fun of Instagram and social media all the time, but it is one of the benefits of social media and podcasting and things like that of how many people really do have someone in their life who, hey, you're my friend who parents a child with FASD Mm -hmm. and I learn from you and I get to watch you live. Well, that is the beauty of (laughs) what we get to do with these internet spaces. So Yes.
1: Yes. And it's grown so exponentially. I mean, especially since the pandemic, just seeing more, you know, social media accounts, more, you know, bloggers, more, podcasters, it's great to see the growth, especially if you're, you know, like us, we live in a rural part of North Carolina, sure, so, sure. you know, about an hour away, we can find great resources, but in our neck of the woods, not so much. So all those people out there all over the world, that's the beauty of podcasting. And, and what we do is that, you know, we get emails from people all over the world. And it's so amazing. You know, our, yeah, our, our gift. hope was, was just to say, okay, North America, but you know, we get followers and listeners from all over the place. So it's, it's wonderful that we can do this, you know, in this, in this like day and age, you know, this, this time of digital growth. So,
0: right. yeah, Yeah. Okay. All right. So be my, my FASD mom friend here and let's jump in because, you know, when I was growing up, there was fetal alcohol syndrome And it was a syndrome that you could visually see and point out that person has fetal alcohol syndrome. Then we started to hear about spectrum disorder, fetal alcohol spectrum. And then becoming involved in this space and getting, I mean, I always get to say, the greatest privileges that I have are that I get to go to these events and speak alongside and listen to these experts. So I'm sitting on a stage with Dr. Ira Chasnoff. Oh my goodness. Yeah. On a panel and I'm like sharing a mic with him and I'm like, I should not be sharing a mic with Dr. Ira Chasnoff. He is awesome. But learning how absolutely pervasive this is when we're talking about specifically foster care and a lot of vulnerable children. So hearing from him that 80% of children in foster care have probably been exposed to alcohol and potentially have fetal alcohol, that my mind was blown, my eyes were opened, and I was able to see one of the kids in my home in a completely different light. Yeah. So here's where I want you to be my friend. (laughs) Absolutely. We have a child that we found out in New Jersey, things work really great. They keep you in the dark the entire time. You don't go to court. You don't get any information. And right before you adopt, they tell you everything and everything they know and they tell you to sign off. And so it was then that we learned that mom did admit to drinking alcohol throughout pregnancy and a light bulb went off of FASD and all the things that we had been seeing and all of the confusing behaviors and struggles. And so we went, I believe, to a developmental psych. I, I honestly don't even remember who we went to. And they looked at her and said, well, she doesn't have the facial stuff and she's only this age. We're not gonna diagnose her just based on history and behavior. And so I have essentially been like, well, my kid has FASD. I'm pretty sure of this. We don't have a diagnosis, which limits us in a lot of things. And so I would love if you could address a question that I get all the time, which is how do we pursue a diagnosis? And how do we even know, like you just said, you didn't even know for 13 years, please give us moms and dads advice on what it looks like to even get the right information and diagnosis about our kids.
1: So to answer that question, I'm going to use some statistics to help your listeners and your audience, like know how pervasive it is. We know the percentage in international adoptions. We know the percentage in foster care. However, recent studies and this was a JAMA study. This this study was at the University of North Carolina Chapel Hill, done by Dr. Philip May, who is a, a renowned clinician and researcher in, in FASD. Twenty eighteen, he did a demographic study across the United States and and different, you know, in different demographics, different, you know, cultures, different, just you know, cross sectional kind of study. He yeah. found that in first graders that were surveyed, one in 20 were estimated to have an FASD. And that's the general population. And we actually in the FASD community anticipate it to be higher because if you think about how FASD works, FASD is a spectrum disorder. It is a whole body brain-based disability. It is caused from prenatal alcohol exposure. When you're talking about fetal alcohol syndrome, that's one of several diagnoses Mm. that fall under the FASD umbrella. Mm. The facial characteristics only occur in about four to five days during, I believe it's days, don't quote me on this, 17 through 23 of gestation. So even
0: before
1: before a mom knows that, a birth mom knows that she is pregnant you know, think about the day 17 to, you know, 23, you're, you don't even realize you skipped a cycle at that time. Yeah, Right,
0: right, right. So
1: if you are consuming and, and, you know, not just whether it be a glass of wine or whatever, that's the only time that you're going to see the quote face that goes along with FASD. All other time before and after, the face is not involved. That's when those facial Which means that is used which means, for diagnosis? So 90% of individuals that have an FASD do not have outward wow. physical characteristics. That's why it is the most undiagnosed, underdiagnosed, and misdiagnosed of all developmental disabilities in the Western world. So with those statistics in mind, it doesn't matter if so what we say is if there is any question whether you're a biological mom a birth mom a foster mom adoptive mom a teacher anybody who works with kids and you start seeing red flags like my my husband and i did really before our son was two you know we saw it Mm. medically and then it grew and i'll tell you about some of those if you have any suspicion that there may be prenatal alcohol exposure get evaluated because when you're evaluating a child or a young adult or an adult that has an FASD, you are looking at different parts of the brain that possibly have been damaged. And we know that alcohol out of all of the substances that can be exposed to an unborn child, alcohol is the most harmful because it crosses the limbic system and it affects every single part in the body. So liver, autoimmune, I can name GI, I can name just every system, it alcohol affects. And how I tell people is if you think if you've ever been drunk or if you've ever been buzzed or if you've ever felt intoxicated, think about that in an unborn child and how dramatic that is. And that unborn child cannot escape that. So that stays you know, that alcohol stays and affects their development. So the way that the best way to go about getting a diagnosis is there are a few nonprofit organizations, NOFOS, the National Organization for Fetal Alcohol. And we'll
0: link to all of these on the landing page for everyone.
1: As well as some other organizations can provide diagnostic clinic, you know, in your area, diagnostic clinics. You can also visit our website, FASTHope.com, where we show where you can find diagnostic clinics, or you can do what we did and find, you know, parents who have been through it and said, hey, this was a great person to do an evaluation. It's really getting an evaluation is multidisciplinary. It's a physician. It's a physician. It's, you know, it involves... OT speech, it involves a number of disciplines looking at your child for a time. And it's really a, it's an important part of this road in having a child with an FASD because you are getting a better idea about how your child's brain works and what areas have been damaged by, you know, alcohol. We look at primary characteristics of, of fetal alcohol spectrum disorders, and these are in, in, you know, all of the diagnoses, things like sensory challenges. So, you know, children who are sensory seeking or sensory avoiding, sensory mm-hmm. symptoms is what we call them, things like memory impairment. Working memory is affected. So, a child may be able to remember something one day, but not be able to remember it the next day. It's kind of like Groundhog Day, you know, one day it happens, one day it doesn't. Mm-hmm. There are other things like impulsivity, mm-hmm. lower what we call dismaturity, which is essentially having a lower developmental age than chronological age. So, the child may be, say, six or seven but acting more like three or four and again right. that's from the brain's exposure to alcohol that's the brain damage executive functioning which is the ability to carry out a task the ability to follow through instructions so maybe a child remembers the first of three steps so those are all examples of primary characteristics and they as a child gets older the symptomatics can, The primary symptoms can develop, the child can develop secondary symptoms because they are the environment, meaning parents at home, caregivers, school, are trying to either discipline or Mm -hmm. correct what's actually Mm -hmm. a disability. So if you think about someone, an adult, having brain injury from a lived experience, say a car accident or you know, s- serving the country and and you know having a TBI or something, we accommodate the brain from that brain injury. We need to recognize that fetal alcohol spectrum disorders are prenatal brain injuries. So right. we make those accommodations, and it changes as that child develops and grows. So having the diagnosis will give you a better idea of what specifically in the brain needs more support. Things I, I wish, you know, and I tell people because we had a verbal pediatric neurologist tell us, oh, I think your child's been exposed prenatally to alcohol. And we said, what should we do? And he said, oh, just put him in early intervention and he'll be fine mm-hmm. which totally you know i co-authored a book with a friend of mine who has five children three of whom have an fasd and we both like just we both cringe when we think about what people have said about fasd oh it'll be fine or or do this or do that it's a brain based disability you you don't outgrow it so well and that was with the knowledge that it even was that that
0: is even more than I think a lot of parents get because a lot of us are getting ADHD, ODD, sensory processing disorder and a whole list of diagnoses but that are a cost to that Right, it's a bunch of symptoms yes. that all fall under FASD. Yes, and so seeing it not just as these other sort of list of ten disorders, but what is the holistic, like what is the root, yes. whole body thing going on here?
1: Exactly. So if you think about something like a child who has an autism spectrum disorder, they have all of those alphabet exactly. But right. we know it's a genetic cause, which is autism. Now, right. when a child that has an FASD starts developing that alphabet soup of, of acronym diagnoses, which mm-hmm. our son had ADHD, ODD, learning, visual processing disorder, sensory, yep. you know, yep. all those things, you know, the treatments, the interventions that would work typically for that, the ADHD, for example. And I know Dr. Chasnov, he's been on our podcast and I know in his book, he's spoken about this. The reason why ADHD medications don't work with a child that has an FASD is because the ADHD is from a genetic mutation and the dopamine that is not in the brain has a different cause than the lack of dopamine in a brain from FASD. So the medication for a child that actually has an ADHD will work because you know it it's meant to do that. However, it won't work for a child with an FASD because you're you're trying to use medication for brain damage, which does right. not work.
0: It so, would be like taking a painkiller for an amputated leg, exactly, like
1: exactly, exactly. That
0: you're not treating the actual cause,
1: exactly. And that I think you're hitting it right on the head, Jamie. I think that when you make the realization that FASD is the cause. Then you go down all those layers of diagnoses and all those layers of things that you've tried to do and say, okay, this is the cause. And this is what we did when our son was 15 and finally received the diagnosis. We just Mm. peeled back all those layers and say, okay, how can we learn best about his brain? How can we accommodate it? And how do we not punish what is a disability?
0: And when, when
1: you do that, and then think about the kids that, you're talking about that. We talk about the kids come from hard places who have lived trauma. It's like a trauma trifle, you know, right, right, it's right, like right. you've got the prenatal trauma, and then you've got the early childhood trauma, and then you've got the older child. Tra- I mean, there's layers of trauma. And when you get down to the root of it, you know, which is the FASD, which we also know there are so many parents in the foster care system that have been prenatally exposed themselves, because we know addiction is a cycle. And I've talked to social workers on our podcast that have said, you know, I've educated them and talked to them about FASD and shared, you know, resources and things like that. And they're like, I'm thinking of parents that I think have this.
0: Oh, absolutely. So
1: when you think of it as a systemic brain-based disability, then your, your mind shifts and then you go, okay, so now I know traditional parenting is not going to work because just like if I had a child that had, you know, who was visually impaired, I need to accommodate their world so that they can succeed and they can grow the way God intended for them to grow. And I think And here's kind of like a, I don't know, this is just kind of, it's been an aha moment for me ever since I learned about, you know, this style of parenting. But when you parent from a brain first perspective, so thinking about the symptoms. So for example, your child's having a meltdown because you're transitioning from one activity to the other, and they're just having a meltdown and they're just freaking out. When you go to the root of it and say, okay, his brain is stuck in this activity right now. So Mm -hmm. what can I do to help him or her along? And when you think about that, it's really very similar to grace-based parenting where we're saying, okay, how can I parent this child with grace and with love and support to help them along the way, rather than say, no, you know, go and time out or no, No playing outside or anything like that. How can I say it really requires the parent to step back and look at what's happening with the child or the teacher or the caregiver and say, okay, this is a symptom. This isn't a behavior. This is not willful. It's not that the child won't do something. It's the child can't do something. And when you make that shift, it's a game changer. And the first book that I always recommend to people is Trying Differently Rather Than Harder. Okay, i was literally yes. just going to say By I'm Diane sure you Malvin. read this book. It's the yes. first book. And so that much that I of the language
0: me. that you're using, yes. I could tell. I'm like,
1: she knows okay. this book. Yeah. And it changed for me yeah. too. Yeah. Oh, did you? I did the training, you know, when it was in person. Gosh, like I think 2-3 years ago, and okay. you know, continue it's that way of parenting a child that has an FASD. Or any brain-based diagnoses. Right. It really is a game changer, again, because, you know, you're not rewarding something, but you're accommodating. So if I know that my son can't handle a certain situation... I'm going to accommodate it. And that means, you know, that may mean not going to a large family picnic or it may mean not going to, you know, whatever for us, it meant homeschooling because that's how our son learned best was one-on-one experiential homeschooling. So it's really about looking at the brain and looking at the effects of alcohol on the brain. And it's different for every, every individual. And really stepping back and saying, okay, I went so many years saying, God, please change my son. I prayed so many years saying, Lord, please change my son. Just please let him listen. Please let him be respectful. And then, boom, he was hospitalized. And I was broken, like shattered as a mom. And Then I realized, you know what, I've got to change. It's me. And when I did, it was like the Lord just filled me with light and filled me with hope and just brought me so closer and made me realize that I was learning more about Jesus through my son than, you know, than I could ever teach him, you know, because we think of our kids as. They're so broken and we need to fix yeah, them right, right when, you know what? We need to support them, learn their gifts and see them differently than the world sees them because we hear so often what's wrong. The doctors, schools, specialists always are telling, you know, the parents and caregivers what our kids are doing wrong or what they need or the things they can't do. And we want to change the conversation to, yes, those things are important. We should know about them, but let's focus on what they can do. Let's focus on supporting them and supporting their brain and accommodating them and meeting them where they're at. So right. yeah, you can, yeah, you can exactly. hear you can hear a lot of Diane Melvin's book and me, and you can hear a lot of, you know, just that in me. Maybe- well, yeah, I
0: think it's that word accommodating that made a shift for me of this isn't about how do we make bad behaviors go away? How do we change these things and teach them the right way and that kind of stuff? To so my niece has a traumatic brain injury and so I was literally like sending pictures to my brother and sister all the time and going, see, we. this isn't about teaching them a new way. This is about changing expectations and accommodating. So you would not look at a child in a wheelchair and say, I said, get up and walk. You would never, ever, ever do that. Yet that's and yet what we're we doing. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And so when we shift from how do we get them to do what we want them to do, to how do we see who they are, celebrate what they're able to do, and accommodate the things that their brains and bodies are just not capable of right now, then It just creates such a shift. And, you know, you were talking about parenting strategies, and that's one of the things I love about TBRI. And when people say to me, like, well, some of this sounds like it would work with my biological child, I'm like, yeah, it would, because it's just about meeting your child where they are, making sure that all of their biological, physiological needs are met, and then getting to the heart. So it's the same thing of, felt safety and connected parenting and meeting their sense. Like it's the same strategies of coming alongside of our kids rather than at them of we need to get your act together. It's we need to help you in in providing your needs and moving forward together.
1: Yeah, there are many similarities in TBRI and neurobehavioral brain based parenting, and they're very complementary, really. When you learn, and, and when you just learn about the brain and how prenatal trauma, prenatal, you know, alcohol exposure, polysubstance exposure, and trauma, when you learn about trauma, there are so many. Things about both worlds that sure like, the really way they
0: affect the brain.
1: Yes, yes, and right. and again, it's all about not about the child changing the child. It's about what we're doing, in in accommodating and in strengthen, you know, supporting and focusing, sh- changing the shift. Yeah, absolutely.
0: I, I and I've talked about that shift a lot personally. FASD aside, just with trauma parenting or neurological differences of realizing just having this like aha moment of things are chaos in my home. Things are bad and they're not getting better. And I'm sort of just waiting for my kids to outgrow this stuff and get their act together. And then realizing I can't change them but I can change me. I can change my approach to them. I can change the way that I see them. I can and it made such a big difference. And when people come to me of like what medication and what therapies and what and I'm like, "Oh, if you can make this shift in your mind from you're a bad kid and things are bad to wow, you are Have these needs right now, and I can come alongside you in your needs. It is just, it is life changing. It's culture shifting in your home. And I know you brought up just bringing what we know about science and then our faith together. And so, for anyone who's listening, who's like, okay, but yeah, our kids are sinners and our kids do need Jesus and there are biblical standards and all that, like, yeah, 100%. But we meet the brain need, we meet the body need, so that we can then move on to the heart need. You don't yell at a kid, you need Jesus, when they're bleeding.
1: Exactly.
0: (laughs) meet the body need, and then it creates even the space, the ability for the integrated brain to hear and process what we're even saying. When we meet those needs first, then we can come and meet the spiritual need, the emotional need.
1: And our kids have one of the primary symptoms of FASD, of this brain damage, just like with TBI, is they have a very hard time with abstract thinking. Right. So we need to be you know we need to be followers of Jesus and act the way Jesus would act and teach them through concrete you know biblical instead of you know when i realized that our son like never fit in, in any of the church groups we tried as much as we tried because he was so dismature. He, you know, he was in groups with kids who are like 16 and 17 and he was chronologically that age, but developmentally he was about maybe 10. And when, when I realized, you know what, no, I've, I've got to do this differently. You know, we got to make that connection. And, and when we started, you know, home churching. And when we started having home Bible studies and when we just started having him connect more with people that could meet him, like you said, meet him where he's at, you know, his, his life coach, for example, is a believer. And I love that he just meets him where he's at. And Mm -hmm. that is so important for our kids because just like, again, Just like with kids that have autism who have that difficulty in grasping abstract, you know, it's not that God is abstract. No, God is, you know, God is here. He is as concrete. He made the world, He made everything. But if we think about Jesus and how Jesus lived, He went to the lepers, He went to those that the world ran away from. And that's what we need to do. And that's when I made that realization that the Lord put, our son in our life to break me so that he could rebuild me and sure. so that he yeah, could use my mess as a mm-hmm. ministry to help other parents going mm-hmm. through this then i was like okay lord i'm in your hands you know so cool. and and that's what led us to do what we're doing now and i i pray that anyone who's listening, if if you are just, and it's a very dark, dark place. I mean, I can tell you when our son was hospitalized, I was just like in a fetal position. I did not know what to pray for. Mm. But then when we finally got that written diagnosis, when he was discharged that yes, he does have an FASD in addition to you know his other diagnoses, then we're like, okay, now we can start moving forward. And yeah. that's what I pray that people who are hearing us talk can say, this is not because my child is bad or because my child has a behavior or that my child just needs more love. This is because my child's brain was affected by alcohol and that we need to, just like you said, Jamie, meet them where they're at, support them where they are and look at them the way God looks at them. That they, hmm. they, yes, we're all sinners. Yes, we are all, this is a fallen world. God put in our children gifts that we need to find. Just like anybody, we all have gifts that the Lord has given to us. And when you have a child that has an FASD, we have to look harder. And that road hmm. looks a lot different. It's that really road is a lot That road is a lot slower and that journey takes Hmm. a long time. It's a forever journey. It's not a, hey, you're done at 21 journey.
0: Right. You did your parenting.
1: Yes. Yes. And that's the (laughs) stage we're at now. We're like in a grieving stage now because our son will be 19. All of his friends have graduated and moved on either college or military. And he's still living at home. We're trying to, you know, renovate our workshop to turn into a tiny house for him. That's why we moved out into rural, you know, farm country, because we want him to have interdependence, we want him to have his own place, but still, you know, have mom and dad nearby in case he needs something. And that's a realization that parents need to have too, is that this is a lifelong journey. And I wish I could say it gets easier as they get older. It's different. But no, it's now you have a chronologically 18 or 19 year old that the world is expecting me to do something. And they're still maybe at like 11 or 12.
0: Right. Right.
1: So that's, again, that's why my husband and I, we knew this was a ministry for us for just sharing our hearts, sharing that we're on this journey, sharing what we know. And again, I love, and I, I'm so thankful you're saying that I'm an expert, but I'm just a parent with lived experience. (laughs) Honestly, I mean, the experts are people like Dr. Ira Chasnoff. But I can, I'm blessed that I'm a parent that has been on this journey as hard as it is. And it's still hard. Some days I'm just like, Lord, I cannot do this. But I am so thankful that I can take my brokenness and say, hey, I went through this and this may not work for you but this is what I learned.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I'm grateful for that too especially because there is such misinformation, limited information and there isn't even a specific doctor to go to. A specific you know it, it you are really like walking blindly and so I'm grateful for experts and books and research, but also just for people who are sort of walking ahead of us and living it out. And I have, I have other friends who I'm grateful that I, you know, my friend Kristen Berry is the one who sent me that nice. book yep. and she was like, yep. this is what you need. And so having people who are 10 years ahead, I'm grateful that you've opened your life and heart like that. And I want to encourage everyone on the landing page for Real Mom Podcast. We're going to have links to the clinics you listed and your information and your book, because this is like a very introductory conversation into like, okay, welcome to the club. <laughs> there's so much to learn now. And here is sort of how you can learn and where you can start. So I don't want anyone who's listening to feel like, okay, but now what? because yeah this is an intro but now what now we can kind of walk the path together and and you have really created a space for us to all learn and grow together so i'm grateful for that thank you so Thanks. let us end on a different note and just talk moms talk women i want to just talk about you now not just diagnoses and kids and all that stuff let's talk what you're doing eating reading watching and listening to
1: okay. so natalie
0: what are you doing right now
1: so doing my favorite thing to do jamie is we have a little under 4 acres in rural rural farm country north carolina my favorite thing to do is at this time of night it's about Seven ish here, seven thirty is to go out and pick blueberries. We have like a little hobby Aww. farm, and I That's love like so perfect books. it is, and I love it. I go out there, and I feel like I'm just really, you know, it's like I'm just experiencing God's creation. I'm thanking God for His, you know, His bountiful these gorgeous berries and we're having a wonderful season. So I'm so thankful. So I do, I go out and I pick blueberries and I love them. I give them to friends. In fact, I picked a couple pints. We're seeing our pediatrician tomorrow. So I picked like a few pints for her. So that's like, yeah, I'm blueberry picking.
0: (laughs) That is the most like idyllic picture of (laughs) self-care I've heard, I think ever on this podcast. I love it (laughs) so much. Okay, what are you eating?
1: Dark chocolate is like my yeah. Mm. Dark dark chocolate. And I hide it behind my baking supplies so my kids like don't know it. I feel that. Also eating blueberries, of course, because you know we're picking blueberries. (laughs) Okay.
0: What are you reading?
1: So actually besides the book, I keep reading our book just because, you know, people are asking about it and stuff like that. I read a lot of Priscilla Shire. I love her and I'm doing okay. her I'm doing her Elijah Bible study right now.
0: Oh, cool. Which
1: has been really cool. And yeah, and then I also just got today in the mail, Jerinda Wilson's 4-hour school day for homeschooling. It's a brand new book. I'm looking forward to reading that too. So, those are those are two things on my Okay, list. so let me
0: ask you two more specific questions. Okay. One is can you tell us about your book?
1: Absolutely. So, Blazing New Homeschool Trails, Educating and Launching Teens with Developmental Disabilities is our book. It was released this month in June, and it's available on Amazon.com as well as on our webpage, which I will give you that address for your listeners. Cindy LaJoy is a mom who adopted five kids. They're young adults now, they're all from Eastern Bloc countries, and three of them officially have an FASD. And she also founded Blue Collar Homeschooling, which is an 11,000 plus member group on Facebook. It's a website. She's amazing. Her last year of homeschooling, she knew that her kids were not going down a college path, just like our Mm. son was not. So she took her last year and created a pizza and ice cream place in Montrose, Colorado, where she lives for people who have different abilities. And it actually opened five months before the pandemic. It was voted the best pizza and ice cream place in their town. Oh, so so cool. I talk in our book, I talk about our journey, about how our son became a carpenter. He's a carpentry apprentice. And his last Mm. two years of homeschooling, we knew he wasn't destined for college, but he had this amazing gift, he still does, of carpentry Mm. and how... I don't know anything about carpentry. So again, I learned along, I walked alongside with him, found two. Oh great man. That's so cool. Teachers. Natalie. So yeah. So how we literally, you know, just blazed two new trails for our kids who we knew were going wow. to lead a different life. So, yeah. yeah.
0: Oh, I love it. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. And we'll link to that. That's really great. Thank you. And then so my other reading question is, can you tell us we mentioned the one book, which I always botch? I call it Try Differently, Not <laughs> Harder. Yeah.
1: What is it called? You're very close. <laughs> trying trying Differently Rather Than Harder by Diane. All right. Norman.
0: Yep. Great. So we'll link to that. Yep. What other books, and I always talk about The Mystery of Risk by Dr. Ira Chasnov. What books would you recommend to anyone who really wants to learn about this?
1: Have you read Dr. Chasnoff's new book? No. Guided Growth. Oh my goodness. No. I have it right here. I'm going to share it with you. It's, and he's actually, he released it and I'm um, Guided Growth. It's called Guided now, Growth. You have, <laughs> I know no one
0: else can see the video. You have about 400 <laughs> post sticking out of there. You're not just reading this book. You can are you consuming yeah, this you know, book.
1: Actually, I am reading this book too. This would be book number three on my list. Guided Love Growth. It. Educational and Behavioral Interventions for Children and Teens with Fetal Alcohol Spectrum Disorders and Early mm. Trauma. It's by Dr. Ira Chasnoff and Dr. Ronald Powell. I would highly recommend it. Highly awesome. recommend it. That, he, he addresses Great. FASD. He addresses just about everything we've talked about.
0: Cool. All right. So we're, we're leaving people with resources to go from here and learn more. So that's good. All right. Let's go a little lighter. What are you watching?
1: Oh, I'm kind of binge watching and watching some old fixer upper episodes, because we're kind of in that, oh, we have to take a workshop and turn it into a tiny house. So I'm binge watching. I'm I love Magnolia Network. And I I love watching, you know, the new things where my my daughter is so funny. She's like, are you gonna watch Chip and Jojo again? And I'm like, "Yeah, I I kind (laughs) of like them. So yeah, anything fixer upper Magnolia, anything having to do with renovation right now, I'm watching it.
0: Yeah. Oh. And what are you listening to? Well, also, I'll give you another little plug. Okay. Talk about your podcast a little bit.
1: Sure. F-A-S-D Hope. So we started podcasting last year. As a result of the pandemic, FASD Hope is a podcast. You can find it anywhere you get your podcasts. You can also download our episodes on FASDHope.com. And we interview every week, actually. <laughs> we're So we started October 1st and I just released episode 64. So we're actually more like every couple of weeks, or maybe like twice a week. Wow. We interview people all over the FASD community, people who have FASD professionals mm. Dr. Chasnoff's been on our show, Kristen and Mike Berry have been on our show. Anybody who is remotely involved with FASD or in those circles. I also talk to social workers, teachers, you know, just people who can be a resource for families and loved ones. Awesome. During-
0: wow, I- what a resource yeah. to parents. Thank you. I feel I'm so glad just to have you on the show because it is like a question that comes to me all the time and it's not an easy thing to direct people to. There isn't like, you know, here's this like ABC, learn, get your diagnosis, and here's all the strategies. Oh, and oh. it really takes like immersing yourself into it. And so you're kind of giving us a gift
1: by immersing yourself into it and I sharing see. it with us as you go. I just want to tell you real quickly, Jamie, that there is national legislation for FASD on both the Senate floor and the House of Representatives floor. It's wow. called the FASD Respect Act and it would give okay. funding, it would give support, research, prevention. So if you go, I'll, I'll give you the link for that too. Yeah. If you want to make this happen so that we can have on a national level FASD be recognized, mm. treated, supported. We're really hopeful that this will pass this year. So it's called the FASD Respect act. And I will give you all of the details for that. Yeah. Wow. That's really exciting. Yeah. Yeah.
0: That's great. Well, Natalie, thank you just for sharing what you've learned. Thank you for sharing your experience. I'm just really, I just keep thinking about the people who are going to listen to this who are going to have the light bulb that we both talked about as we read books or learned information that they're going to be people who have that light bulb moment of, Oh, this is what's going on in my home and with my child. And so thank you just for sharing yourself with us today. And I think that it's really going to be an encouragement and just, just help so many people on their journey of parenting. So I'm really grateful. Thank you so much.
1: Thank you, Jamie. And if they have the light bulb, email me, Natalie at natalieatfasdhub.com. I'm happy to help.
0: Oh, I love it. Thanks for making yourself available.
1: (laughs) All right, Natalie, thank you so much. Thanks, Jamie.
0: Thanks for listening to The Real Mom Podcast. You can find us in all the places, realmompodcast.com for our landing page, where we'll connect you to the guests and all the links and info from this episode. On Facebook, search Real Mom Podcast and on Instagram at Real Mom Podcast.